How Are You Feeling is recorded and produced on the stolen land of the Gadigal and Bidjigal peoples. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. How And welcome to How Are You Feeling, the show where we navigate news, politics and pop culture through the lens of our emotions. My name is Danny Stewart and I am very excited that it's finally shorts weather. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Lungol Wakina and I am anxiously awaiting Scorpio season because Libra season is not it. To be honest, like Scorpio scare me. Um, yeah, I mean look, <laughs> they scare everyone. Danny, how are you feeling? What's making you anxious? So what's making me anxious is the increasing casualization of the workforce. But I want to talk specifically about the gig economy and fast food delivery riders and drivers. Because in the past month, Two delivery riders have been killed on Sydney roads, which has renewed concerns about working conditions faced by these delivery riders. Um, And because delivery riders aren't considered employees, we know that these companies like to use other fun terms to describe their contractors or driver partners uh, is another one that I have heard because they're not considered employees they aren't entitled to standard workers compensation yeah so both of the men who were delivery riders who uh, died in Sydney recently they were supporting their respective families in China and in Indonesia and now the families are left with no money coming in and they don't know what they are entitled to. Normally, if an employee dies on the job, those dependent on them are entitled to a large lump sum of money and also continuing payments uh, for each additional child or other dependent that might have been relying on that income for support. But with these gig economy companies, it's a lot murkier. It's not clear exactly what the families are entitled to because they don't receive those same benefits that an employee would. I feel like it's a really important point to bring up, especially because One, we're, like we discussed last episode, in the middle of a recession, and two, in the middle of a pandemic. So employment is in a really fragile space at the moment, and I feel like because of that, these massive corporations are really exploiting people's vulnerabilities at a time like this. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between the way that people want to view gig economy workers and the reality and the narrative fed by these companies is that their workers are liberated by 
a hyper-flexible working arrangement where they get to choose their own hours. But often the reality is the people in these roles are there because it's the only place they can find work and they're faced with below minimum wages and really grueling hours in order to make ends meet. And so often they are people who have recently immigrated or a lot of international students, the people who aren't covered by the government's COVID safety net. So that's why, yeah, we're seeing so many vulnerable people who have no other employment prospects turning to these companies for work and then really putting their lives in danger. Like it's really dangerous. I've seen so many near misses with delivery typewriters, especially people who have recently come to Sydney and aren't familiar with our roads. It's so incredibly dangerous. I've lived here almost my whole life and I don't feel comfortable biking on these roads. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When I moved here, I immediately decided not to bike anymore. (laughs) And I also wanted to just discuss a little bit what you mentioned about the ambiguity of their status within these corporations, like their rider partners or delivery partners. Mm. And I really think that a lot of it has to do with optics. So these corporations love to perpetuate an image that these people are essentially running their own small businesses. I feel like that's such a huge thing that they try to get people to buy into that's not unlike an MLM. (laughs) Um, And I think it's really dangerous because they use the allure of working your own hours and, you know, doing routes that only you're comfortable with and stuff like that without really giving people the opportunity to be like, hang on, am I insured when I'm doing this? Um, Are you insuring my car or my vehicle when I'm making these deliveries? Am I being paid like strictly on commission or is there a standard rate that you're giving me? It's just all of these workers' rights that are being completely ignored. Yeah, and the pay rate as well is something that seems very murky and a lot of people who are working on these apps don't even know how much their wage actually is. And kind of talking about the visuals a little bit, um, it's very interesting thinking about the Uber Eats ad and you know they pay so much money to these celebrities yeah to be ordering their uber eats and you know you hear the doorbell ring and then you don't even see the driver it's just the arm holding out an uber eats bag yeah i think that's pretty symbolic of how these companies think about their workers and how they treat their workers you know yeah they're not even there (laughs) yeah yeah, I just find it 
really strange. And honestly, if you told me, I can't remember when this happened, but maybe like five years ago, if you told me five years ago that now the streets would constantly be filled with these riders who are delivering food to people's door, the rider gets paid barely anything and these huge corporations take 30% of what the restaurant makes, I would have said, no, that's not real. There's no way that's a thing. Yeah. How did this happen? It's just so ridiculous because I feel like this is part of a larger conversation when we're talking about the tech world and like startup culture and how a lot of times they like to brand themselves as you know working for the people and making people's lives easier and we're not like these big corporations that take advantage of people like mcdonald's and it's Mm. just like well you kind of are you know and i just because i did read the story about one of the um men that was killed while he was on the job and his wife back in china was looking after their two kids and like you said he was their only source of income and the company he was writing for you know they paid the funeral costs and paid for her flight back to australia to you know arrange the funeral but like that's not even the bare minimum you know like someone died yeah and yeah it wasn't just two children as well the wife also has disabled parents that are dependent who have no mobility who she has to care for now with no money yeah it's yeah really very horrible um to think about and you know they sell this idea of convenience and i do i see that and i think it's important because Walking to the restaurant isn't accessible to everyone, obviously. But the thing is, like, restaurants have always had their own delivery drivers who would deliver food to the surrounding suburbs for a small fee or for free. So I'm not really sure what it offers. Maybe just more choice. I think it's more choice and also... They have the resources to develop an app with, you know, a really good user interface and also tracking and, you know, stuff that small businesses or family-run businesses don't really see the need to integrate into their own delivery systems. And because of that, whenever I order food, I personally try to do it directly from the place I'm ordering from and um yeah I just think that uh, that Uber Eats and other services like it rely on convenience you know comes back to the fact that we're all forced to be going like a hundred kilometers an hour all the time under capitalism and we can't really be afforded the luxury of slowing down and you know going through processes to make our consumption a little bit more ethical you know yeah yeah I guess that's true um but yeah I don't know I just think there's something 
something upsets me about it about the loss of that that interaction with your like local restaurant um and it seems stressful for the restaurants as well i know the pizza shop near me recently started using uber eats and i know that they would feel like they have to because they have to use it to reach customers yeah but it's so hectic in there there's always just a line of uber eats riders a lot of yelling anyway um yeah yeah i do the same thing when i like want to eat out um i'm just like look it's a 2.99 delivery fee that's like nothing but also how much of this is actually going to the restaurant that makes food that I personally really enjoy and that I always put on my stories, you know? So, you know, just like, I'm lucky sometimes where I'm able to cop the 500-meter walk. You know, that's like nothing to me on good days or even okay days. Mm. But, you know, when I do have bad days and I do rely on delivery services, it sucks because I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I'm not only am I having to pay delivery fees, but I'm also paying on top of that, like, hiked up prices because Uber takes 30% of you know, whatever the restaurant makes. And then also that's like tipping the restaurant itself and the drivers and, uh, yeah. Just a really vicious cycle. There is going to be a parliamentary inquiry in New South Wales uh, into the future of work in the gig economy, which starts next month. So I'd be interested to see what that churns out, but I really don't have much faith that it will change anything because these companies, particularly Uber, are so powerful and they've gained so much more wealth because of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's just become so ridiculous how much all of these companies have profited off of a devastating worldwide virus. Yeah. It's pretty cooked. Yeah. Anyway, let's move along. Longel, what's making you anxious right now? Okay, so in not necessarily lighter news, what's making me anxious is everything... Before, i just like to preface that if I butcher these pronunciations, I'm so incredibly sorry. I'm just doing my best. But um, it's everything that's happening behind the hashtag Artsakh is Armenia. Artsakh is the name that the people indigenous to that um, land call it, but it's more commonly commonly known as Nagorno-Karabakh. So this is an area that the rest of the world recognizes as part of Azerbaijan, but whose citizens are ethnically Armenian and culturally Armenian and religiously Christian, which is different from the Muslim majority of Azerbaijan. So there's just been a lot of conflict in this area and a lot of tensions have 
been um, essentially exploding over the past like week or so. And it's a really complex issue. It seems really complex. I tried to do some research, figure out what was going on, and I got very confused. It is very confusing. I'm glad you're here to explain because <laughs> I I need to figure it out because, yeah, I just I got so, so tangled in a web of info. So how would you break down what's going on? Okay, so I'll be flipping through a bunch of different sources so this is from the Instagram account Shit You Should Know About, which, you know, they've kind of simplified from a Guardian article, which we should all appreciate. Yes. So on the 27th of September 2020, Azerbaijan executed military aggression against Artsakh with the support of Turkey. This is the most severe attack on Artsakh since Armenia and Azerbaijan signed a ceasefire in 1994. So, to provide a brief history of the area, on the 30th of August 1991, Azerbaijan declared its independence from the Soviet Union. Less than a month later, on September the 21st, Armenia also did the same thing. Now, at the beginning of the next year, January 6, 1992, Artsakh declared its independence from Azerbaijan. So there's just a lot of stuff that's going on. And at this point in time, a lot of um, former Soviet states are trying to establish their own forms of self-determination. In June 1992, Azerbaijan launched a large-scale attack against this particular area. And... In May 12, 1994, Azerbaijan recognized Artsakh, or as they called it, Nagano-Karabakh, and, you know, a part of themselves, and Russia had mediated this entire process. Right. So Russia has a huge stake in this, Hmm. as these were all former Soviet states, and it's just been a hugely complicated issue because you have indigenous people essentially trying to as is their right to self-determinate you know they wanted to be part of Armenia because they identify as Armenians and then they're trying to declare independence from Azerbaijan but Azerbaijan isn't letting that happen So, why is this in the news now? Well, like I'd mentioned before, there was a massive attack um, on the 27th. And this is where it gets a little complicated because Azerbaijan did conducted this with the support of Turkey. Yeah. So... Normally, there's a committee of the U.S., Russia, and France, and they've kind of appointed themselves to delegate and kind of act as a third party in this particular region. And Russia has a vested interest, obviously, because of the fact that they're all former Soviet states, but the the U.S. and France also have massive 
massive sections of the Armenian diaspora living in their countries. So, you know, this is how it all ties in together. And what's Turkey's stake in this? So, Azerbaijan is incredibly valuable to the rest of the world because it's rich in oil Mm -hmm. and it has a lot of um, pipelines that transfer oil and gas across Europe. Right. So this means that it has a lot of importance economically and geopolitically. And it's just been really quite concerning because Russia has already been involved, but they it's kind of difficult to see where their stakes lie most in because they mostly just want peace in the region. Hmm. However, Turkey making a move in support of Azerbaijan has created a lot of tension and it isn't helped by the fact that Israel is also involved by providing Azerbaijan with weapons. Right, with the drones? With the drones. So there's been a lot of UAVs, so that's unpiloted aerial vehicles, that are used in this conflict. And there's just been so much violence happening. And... There's also been expression from Iran to come to a mediated solution. And this is very concerning because you have Russia involved, you have Iran involved, and you have Turkey involved. Mm. And these are all countries invested in nuclear weapon development. Yeah. So that's why this is making me incredibly anxious because on top of, I think it was 100,000 people in both Armenia and Azerbaijan with confirmed infections of COVID-19, which, you know, let's not forget is still happening. Now there's the looming fear that nuclear war could break out. And where does that really bizarre music video that was released by Azerbaijan, by their, was it their military? Where does that come into this? Yeah, oh my god. I have no idea how to explain this, Um, but I saw it on Twitter. The Azerbaijani military had essentially made a music video promoting their new weapons or something so bizarre i couldn't tell you what it was about because i don't speak Mm. the language they were rapping in but it was just a lot it is very overwhelming it is very obviously propaganda you know very highly produced propaganda oh oh, the production value was incredible is this a marvel movie it was a lot (laughs) Just the drone shots alone. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and like 11,000 Turkish troops were um, involved in entering, you know, the um, contested area. 
um, back in July and August. So this isn't something that just broke out. This has been brewing, obviously, since the 1990s. But, you know, there's just so much happening. It's very complicated, but I think I understand a little bit better now. It's just so frustrating because, you know, obviously I feel like Indigenous people should have the right to self-determinate. And these are people that do have connections to the land they're living on. They have a very robust understanding of their history and of this area. But, you know, the rest of the world seems to be siding with Azerbaijan because they don't recognize, you know, this area as part of Armenia or as an independent, self-determined state, which they all voted for, might I add. Mm So, yeah, it's just all so frustrating, but I'm just so worried about the nuclear element of all this. And I think what's interesting, too, is uh, we've seen similar situations play out in other parts of the world also. Yeah, and I'm worried that this could lead to a massive humanitarian crisis, like what happened in Yemen. Yeah. Um where there was so much geopolitical conflict and the people suffered the most. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's just so concerning. And especially, you know, with the backdrop of COVID-19, this is just so, so concerning. Yeah, I'm not sure if, People listening at home could understand that because I am still in the process of trying to understand. I've been reading about it for a couple of days and it's really confusing. Mm. But um, yeah, I highly recommend trying to find people that are from these areas on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. Give them a follow. Definitely, because it's hard to know even with like reputable news sources it's hard to know really what biases are feeding into the content surrounding something like this yeah and i didn't even realize that this was an issue of indigenous people and sovereignty until i went to social media to look into it they tend to leave leave that stuff out don't they yeah um so yeah that's really what's been making me anxious um let's move on danny what's been making you angry okay well this is a little bit lighter still still making me angry i still think it's a serious issue that must be discussed yes okay so you know some people like video games some people like gardening whatever everyone has their vice well sometimes i like to watch the bachelor (laughs) 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 <laughs> Not, like, all the time. I don't watch it religiously because I don't okay. have time. But I'll watch it every now and again. You know, a few episodes <laughs> each season. I like to know what's up in the mansion. Um, And I tuned in the other night to The Bachelorette. And, gee, it was boring. 
It was so <laughs> boring. And it really made me angry because I was just thinking the reason this is so crap is because they do not make diverse casting choices. And if they did, it would be so much better. <laughs> oh my God. So true. So true. It's so white. It's so straight. <laughs> it's so cis. And whenever there is like a sprinkle of diversity, it's always pretty tokenistic. Mm. And I just don't understand because, you know, they take risks in other areas in reality TV. But Channel 10, who makes The Bachelor, just refuses to have a gay bachelor or a gay bachelorette, even though it has been campaigned for for so, so long. And you know what I think is really weird and confusing? Instead of making the cast a bit more diverse, what they decided to do for this season of The Bachelorette is spice it up by having two bachelorettes and their sisters Ew. Right? How, how does that work? I don't know, but I was watching it and I was thinking, this is incest vibes to the max. What are they doing? Like, as if having queer representation would be more confronting to your audience than this. What the heck? It was so weird. I don't understand why they did this. And, you know, people always come after Osha, the host of the Bachelor franchise on Twitter, being like, hey, mate, what's up with this? It sucks. Why can't we have some queer representation out here? And what Osha will always say is that the network is very risk averse and they won't commission anything that doesn't work in that prime 7 30 p.m slot for broad viewing what i would say to that is while some wholesome queer love doesn't fit in the 7 p.m slot but vile misogyny does hmm <laughs> Because there is always so much toxic masculinity up in there. Not that that doesn't exist in the queer community. But I think it would be fair to say it would be different. You know, it would it would change it up a little bit. And we wouldn't see oh, the trope, the trope every season of The Bachelor. They go and they meet the families. And there is the overprotective, angry dad slash brother. Who's oh like, my god, they meet the families? Yeah, if you get far enough in the season. How many contestants are left when they meet the families? Four. Ooh. Sorry, as you can probably tell, I've never watched a single episode, so this is all news to me. I wish I didn't watch this stuff. <laughs> but I love it. I love I love trash and I want some better quality trash that is less boring. You know, yeah. that hooks me. Because, you know, Osha's all like, oh, well, there needs to be drama. There needs to be jeopardy. But I'm like, uh, in the current format of The Bachelor, I feel like I'm on the school bus eavesdropping on a conversation 
between the two most popular girls in year 10 talking about some fuckboy. Oh my god, that's so funny. I don't dig that kind of drama, but imagine the jeopardy that would be created if they exclusively cast queer people. The endless combinations of hookups. Right? Oh my god. Can I just say that the fact that he believes that drama is exclusive to the straight community is so funny to me. Because I don't know if you've ever met a queer person. Right. But we invented drama. Yes. Lungle, you and I both know the queers bring the most intense drama. And, like, our drama is, like, fun and entertaining. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to one of my friends, and we hadn't met up in months. And I was just like, oh, I have so much drama going on. But I know your housemate has a lot of drama. So, like, I don't want to inundate you with drama. And she was like, oh, my God, no, tell me. And then, obviously, I shared all my deepest, darkest secrets that were very entertaining, might I add. And she was like, oh my god, this is actually good drama. This is fun to listen to. This isn't about gross straight men violating boundaries and treating you like shit. And I was like, oh my god, is that what you have to deal with? (laughs) Yeah. I hear a lot of that stuff as well. And I hate it. And that's... I want to break from it when I tune into my, like, guilty pleasure trash TV. But instead, it's just bringing me back to the school bus with the girls talking about Justin and his <laughs> cool hair. And I'm just like, no, I I hate it. And I just think it could be so much better if they took some risks. And you know what? I don't think it's even that big of a risk, <laughs> to be honest. Literally. It's 2020. Everyone's gay. Yeah, I don't think your audience who... Like, who are they targeting? Young women, right? That's the target audience for The Bachelor. I don't think your audience is as homophobic as you think they are, Channel 10. And I think the real issue here is who are the people calling the shots on these shows? Yeah, absolutely. The gatekeepers. White, middle-aged, straight men who don't know what The Bachelor audience wants. And can I just say that, as I mentioned before, never watched an episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or Bachelor in Paradise, nor do I plan on it. However, if there was a queer bachelor or bachelorette, you bet I will be buying whatever streaming service it is on and then I will be watching it and live tweeting it. Do you have any idea how many people there are like me out there? You will be tapping into a whole new audience, Channel 10. Yeah, this is 100% true. I don't think they would lose that much of their audience by making either a queer iteration or casting a queer person as the lead. But they would definitely bring in a lot more viewers by oh doing God. that. And, you know, they're taking risks in other shows which are paying off. MasterChef, still far from perfect. But it would be fair to say this year's MasterChef 
is the most diverse we've ever seen. And it's also been like the most popular season. It's done so, so well. But when it comes to their love reality shows, when it comes to their Bachelor franchise, Channel 10 is stuck in 2003 for some reason that I don't understand. Yeah, and Channel 10, just a cute little suggestion. I am single and available. If you're looking for a Bachelor to tap into these new audiences, I am available. Oh my God, that would be so so good ratings would go through the roof and you know that's the thing they're like oh we don't know if it would work but i mean queer eye drag race some of the most popular shows on streaming services slash tv so i don't understand how they could be like oh it's too big of a risk like we can't do anything why is the default white straight content and anything else considered risky also like thin and muscular yeah like but i will say (laughs) i this is okay i feel bad saying this like judging people on their physical appearance but (laughs) the women they cast for the bachelor tend to be a lot hotter than the men they cast for the bachelorette (laughs) like i'm just putting that out there that's just my opinion they are casting a lot of average men in the season can of The Bachelorette. I, can I posit a theory? I think they want to make Australian women feel bad about mm. how they look, but they want to make Australian men feel like they can end up with a gorgeous woman. Mm. And that's on the patriarchy. Yes. This is so true. I think this this whole issue really really revolves around the patriarchy and (laughs) i'm sorry but yeah i want to see less like straight cis men treating women like shit on that show you know i'm tuning in to block out the reality of my own existence (laughs) i don't want to see it in my like guilty pleasure trash tv i don't i don't want that i want to see love and affection between queer couples and less toxic masculinity. I want my reality TV to reflect the world I want to see. (laughs) Literally. And also, how dramatic would it be if, like, The Bachelor was super in love with one of the contestants, but then he falls in love with another contestant? Uh, So much drama. Yeah. I love it. I'm here for it. Channel 10 executives are you listening (laughs) i will be sending you some mail about this but anyway (laughs) let's move let's move right along lungel what's making you angry oh god so we're recording on the 12th of october so two days ago on saturday there was a rally in Sydney um, at Taylor Square where we were protesting Mark Latham's transphobic bill. And so much about what's happened made me angry. First of all, the fact that this bill was even put and presented Mm -hmm. into Parliament in the first place 
this bill, to give you a bit of a crash course, would make it impossible to talk about or validate trans existence. So you wouldn't be allowed to talk about how sex and gender aren't the same thing. But beyond that, you wouldn't even be allowed to gender students or teachers correctly. Mm-hmm. So you would be forced to misgender kids if they tell you that their pronouns have changed. You would be forced to misgender them if they ask to be called by a different name. And this doesn't apply to teachers. This applies to all non-teaching school staff. The counselor. Yeah, this would be administrators, <laughs> counselors, even custodians. And this bill also tries to tie these proposals into the certifications of teachers. So if teachers gender their students correctly, they could lose their ability to teach in New South Wales. This bill is so fucked. It's so awful and it's so damaging. And we already know that LGBT kids in school, specifically trans kids, just have such a horrible time. And... The bill is just horrific, but it's easy for people to be like, oh, this is just a one nation Mm. bullshit publicity stunt. It's not going to get anywhere. And you know what? There's some truth to that, you know? Like, it's not like the bill is going to pass. It's coming from a quote-unquote fringe party that doesn't have a majority support. However, as we've seen... One Nation seems to be ideologically aligned with the Liberal Party. And ever since marriage equality passed, I feel like there's been this increasing right-wing backlash against the LGBT community, and it's just been getting more and more intense and more visible. And like you say, even though One Nation is like a fringe party, it definitely feeds into members of the Liberal Party, which is really, really scary because if enough of them band together, they do hold the balance of power. Yeah, and it's really concerning because let's not forget that the religious discrimination Mm. bill is still, you know, in the back pocket of the Liberal Party. And... You know, maybe Mark Latham's bill won't get passed, but maybe the Libs will incorporate elements of his bill into their own religious discrimination bill. Yeah, 100%. And they have no problem in hurting trans kids, in hurting vulnerable members of the LGBTQI plus community in order to score political points. We've seen it happen before. And yeah, I'm really scared it's going to happen again. It's just so horrific. And... Like, I personally had a really hard time in school as a queer kid, but I can't imagine, like, how much more difficult it would be to be a trans kid Mm. in an environment that actively tries to invalidate you and refuses to give you any help at all. And when we had the rally on Saturday, it was just a lot. There was just a lot happening, And 13 arrests were made. That's because 
The New South Wales Police took the organizers to court on Friday and managed to deem the protest illegal. So the police were there the entire time they had this massive presence. There was a period of time where they were chasing us as we were rallying, and there were so many instances of police brutality, and it literally got to a point where they didn't know what to do. They were saying, oh, I'm arresting this protester. And another copper would say, oh, we don't have any more room for anyone else. So at the end, they ended up arresting 13 people, but 12 of them were allowed to leave. But one thing that made me so angry was that they detained someone and they took them into custody and gave them false charges. Mm. So they accused them of assaulting a police officer, which we know they didn't do because we filmed the entire altercation. And that was what was reported in the news. The news outlets reported that that person had, quote, assaulted a police officer. Yeah, it was so aggravating and... Um, I wasn't directly involved in organizing the rally, but I was involved in a lot of other aspects of the protest. And I was just so glad that after the rally happened, we managed to put together a bunch of press releases that got out that night so they could counteract the obvious fake reporting that a lot of these you know, media outlets were doing. They just repeated exactly what the police said. Yeah, it's really scary to see how the right to protest is under attack in Australia. Yeah. The police have been gassed up by these powers they think they have because of COVID restrictions and we've seen it you know not just in this rally at the weekend but also a few months back at the Black Jackson custody protest they were pepper spraying people yeah really just escalating situations and it's just so awful like this isn't just something happening in Sydney or New South Wales this is um, like the Queensland government just talked about pouring millions of dollars into the Queensland police. And I just wanted to add that the cops on Saturday actually pulled out an LRAD, which is a sound cannon. Mm. And these are military-grade weapons, you know? And they were going to use it on a bunch of civilian protesters and you know obviously they weren't going to use it because there were other people there that weren't protesting and also there were cops standing in front of the LRAD that would have been hit by it but the fact that they're pulling it out and using it as an intimidation tactic is just disgusting yeah This has been very aggravating. Um, Let's switch it up. Danny. what's been bringing you joy? Okay. So we recently spoke about how government 
doesn't care, federal government doesn't care about climate change, is leading a gas-led recovery of the pandemic. Incredibly frustrating stuff, but I have some good news about poo power. Oh my god, okay. What's poo power? Okay, so fun fact, poo is actually a powerful renewable resource and the Queensland city of Logan has become the first government area in the country to turn human waste, so poo, into energy. (laughs) Oh my god, that's wild. I know, right? It's really wild and I'm loving it. Basically, this is happening at a treatment facility in Logan. It's this $17 million plant which takes biosolids, a substance that comes from sewage, and then generates electricity from it. Very cool. It's a very complicated process. I'm not a scientist, so I can't explain it properly. Basically... They dry the shit out and they carbonize it and then it's able to generate power. And apparently it doesn't smell that bad. Oh my god, I am kind of obsessed with this. I definitely need to read more about it because this is so much better than coal and gas. Like Yeah, and you know, think about how much livestock poops and how bad that is for the environment if they treated all of the cow poop to create renewable power imagine it could like give us so much electricity (laughs) oh my god who is the future i know it is really exciting really really exciting and um The city of Logan, their council operations are going to be carbon neutral by 2022 because of this, um, this poo power project. That's so good. Oh my God. I'm so obsessed with, you know, people that commit to carbon neutrality. I think that's such a good way of operating especially when we're trying to transition into the renewables and 2022 is so soon yeah 2020 is is actually almost over wild to think about 2020 is just it's gone forever but also it's flown by 2022 is very soon (laughs) yeah oh that's so exciting yeah i'm really happy for the people of logan you know logan doesn't have the best reputation um i gotta say prior to this i'd only heard bad things about logan i'm so sorry to everyone from logan but i'm sure it's a lovely place and soon to be soon to be um carbon neutral so that's awesome yeah god bless honestly logan i'm proud of you for doing this so proud poo power it is the future so longo what's making you joyful um, I am very excited that we now have daylight savings. Ooh, yes. And normally I'm not a fan of daylight savings, but I think that's because I always forget to reset my clock because I have a physical clock. 
But when the time switched, as soon as I got out of bed, I changed the time on my clock. And honestly, it's been such a good time. I really enjoy that I can just sit in the sun for a little bit longer. I really enjoy that now I don't have to worry about getting home before 6 p.m. Not because I'm afraid of the dark, but because when it gets dark, I get tired. And I do not want to get tired outside. Same. I feel that. I feel that. And it's just extra daylight hours, you know? Because I wasn't using the daylight in the early hours of the morning anyway. I was sleeping. Same. Same. (laughs) Same, same, same. I'm so glad that now time has given us a little bit more of itself with the sun. Yeah. We love the sun. Yeah, honestly, you know, I just feel better after lying in the sun for a couple of hours. Mm. Well, I have to wear sunscreen and like a hat and... (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so sorry. (laughs) This is like hashtag black privilege, but... (laughs) No, I feel like everyone should wear sunscreen, Mm. but I don't. Um... Anyway, I'm just hoping my genetics protect me from the sun. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I'm just having such a good time. And also, it just means that now my family's an hour behind me in PNG. So we can talk for longer. Because unlike me, they have full work days (laughs) that I need to accommodate our phone calls around. So yeah. Daylight savings, so good. Uh, love that. Also, it's nice, like, leaving somewhere to go somewhere at night and it's still light. Yeah. Because so often I don't do anything all day, but then I go out at night and so I'm like, okay, I'll do a cute makeup look. But then I can't see my face properly without the sunlight, you know? Artificial light, it's just not the same. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Yeah, so I love it for that reason too. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, this time around, not many cons to do with daylight savings. Well, except that summer is coming and I hate the heat. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm not a fan of summer. So sticky. I don't know. I like the transitional months. I like spring and autumn. Autumn is the best month in my opinion. Or winter. I like winter too. Me too. Even though Sydney winters are a bit too wet for me. Mm, I get that. Yeah, being wet and cold is not a good time. Not not a vibe. No. Not a vibe. Not a vibe. Well, thank you so much for listening to our lovely listeners. And please make sure to... Follow us or subscribe to our podcast and also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and tell us what you like about us. Yes. Oh, my God. And also follow us on social media at H-A-Y-F-Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Hope you have a lovely day today and that all your dreams come true. Bye. Bye. How Are You Feeling is hosted and produced by us, Danny Stewart and Longall Burkina. Editing and sound design is by Danny Stewart and artwork by Indiana Johns.
excuse me, someone is just stomping really loudly. <laughs> I think my microphone is definitely going to pick that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah I heard that. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, wow. There they go again. <laughs> There's some loud stompers in this house. 